Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our Friday Bible study on the book of Acts, we got through the sermon of St. Stephen right before his martyrdom. And part of that sermon is he recounts the whole sort of salvation history throughout the whole Old Testament. And he spends a good deal of time talking about Abraham. And so Abraham has been on my mind a lot this week. You know, Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland, to leave his family, to go to a new land that God was going to give him. And along with that land, there came another series of promises that, that even in Abraham's old age, he would have numerous descendants, that those descendants would be so great, they would be like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. But if you know the story of Abraham, you know it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it didn't just get easy from there. I mean, Abraham didn't just show up in the promised land and all of a sudden all these promises were fulfilled. Quite the opposite. In fact, it took, took many years of wandering to get where they were supposed to be, many generations before that promise was delivered. And you also know, if you know the story of Abraham, that there were times where he and Sarah straight up were disobedient to God. I mean, we might think of how they handled Hagar and Ishmael. Certainly not good. Or other times where Abraham was dishonest about Sarah's identity to various leaders of the territories through which they traveled, lying, saying she wasn't his wife, she was his sister. Yet despite Abraham and Sarah's shortcomings, God was faithful to the promise that he made Abraham. He did bring Abraham to the land. He did give him descendants. And ultimately, all the promises God gives to Abraham are fulfilled and answered in the person of Jesus Christ. The point, I think, to draw from the Abraham story is that that we, as human beings, often fluctuate in terms of our faithfulness to God. I mean, hopefully over a long period of time, we see an increase in faith, hope, and love, evidenced by works. But we all know that there are times and seasons, sometimes even years, where we're unfaithful to God. It might be that we have a besetting sin that we keep giving into, Eventually, we decide to just stop fighting it, turning whatever that sin is into a kind of idol. It may be a lack of faithfulness and fulfilling our Christian duty of going to church or praying or taking care of others. It may be holding back part of our life from God's design for human flourishing. Whatever it is, we've all gone through times where we've harbored at least one of those things. Many of you know I was raised as an evangelical and... Found the, found the culture somewhat off-putting, kind of authentic, inauthentic. And of course, there's much to commend in evangelicalism. I mean, I, they certainly taught us to love scripture and to love our Lord. But I kind of use this as an excuse to justify my own departure from the faith. I, I went through a whole period of, of time in my life where I was known as, what's now known as deconstructing my faith. I mean, for a while, I don't even know that I would have identified to you as a Christian. But... Over time, I came back to the faith, eventually finding my way into Anglicanism, eventually finding my way to Crownsville, Maryland. (laughs) The point is, I was baptized. I was baptized when I was, I think, 10, 11 years old. And even though I tried to leave God, he never left me. And I think today's Old Testament reading is about that topic. In its original context, Isaiah chapter 50 is a story about Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And despite that, his faithfulness to them in the form of this mysterious character called the suffering servant. And the suffering servant is the I who speaks in the Old Testament reading this morning. On a deeper level, though, I think Isaiah 50 isn't just a story about Israelites 3,000 years ago. I think it's a story about me and you today. 
Now, if you read the Old Testament, you know it's one account after another of Israel's unfaithfulness. I mean, think about their wilderness wanderings, where they begin to rebel against Moses and God. I mean, at one point they even say, well, can't we just go back because at least we had food? Once they arrive in the promised land, things don't get better. In fact, they fall prey to three main sins, idolatry, empty ritualism, and social injustice. I mean, God told them before they arrived in the land, you shall have no other gods but me. But nevertheless, they erected altars to Baal, the Canaanite storm god, Asherah, the Canaanite fertility goddess, and even Moloch, to whom the barbaric practice of child sacrifice was offered even by Israelites. The Old Testament prophets characterized Israel's idolatry in terms of spiritual adultery. They were going after other gods the way a lustful person tries to go after new lovers. Further, they were committing the sin of social injustice by failing to care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner who were among them. The prophet Amos, for example, indicts the wealthy women of Israel, calling them the fat cows of Bashan who are sitting on and crushing the poor. And of course, they also fell prey to this empty ritualism, a kind of checking off of the liturgical boxes while not allowing the liturgy to change them from the inside out. The very opening chapter of Isaiah gets at this when the prophet Speaking for God says, and when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make your prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. What's more, not only did Israel commit these three sins of idolatry and injustice and empty ritualism serially, they totally ignored God when he tried to correct them. In fact, ignore is probably too strong a word. They actively and violently lashed out against God's prophetic spokespersons, to the point of murder. Jesus summarizes this pattern of behavior in Luke 13, 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, despite their violent reactions against the prophets sent by God, Isaiah foretells of a suffering servant who would be sent to them by God. And this suffering servant would know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. In other words, he was offering a message of comfort to God's people. He was teaching them how to follow God. But what happens to the suffering servant in today's reading? He tells us, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. The people of Israel were intent on rejecting this servant, inflicting violence on him just like they had on all the spokesmen that God had sent before. Yet even in, this, in the midst of this opposition, the servant doesn't waver in the face of this, this vicious opposition. He has faith. The Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Even though the people reject him and therefore reject God, the suffering servant continues forward with his mission, knowing that if it was God who sent him, it would be God who would see the thing through. And what's the result of God's faithfulness as demonstrated through the suffering servant? It's at the very end of our reading this morning. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. The servant, as a manifestation of God's faithfulness, 
enables there to be a way for people who are trapped in darkness to see a great light, to trust in the name of the Lord and become steadfast in their faith in God. Now, at this point, we might ask ourselves, well, who is this suffering servant? Is it another prophet in the Old Testament? Some have suggested it might be. Some have proposed that the suffering servant is the nation of Israel itself, God's royal priesthood sent to the world to draw the nations to God, but who nevertheless suffer violence at the hands of the nations when they reject God. And I think this is true on one level, but we have to remember that everything about Israel, all the promises God made to them in the Old Testament, all the vocations they were supposed to fulfill, all of their liturgical and sacrificial ritual, all of that finds its culmination in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the suffering servant sent by God. He's the one who experienced savage resistance to the point of being beaten and executed. He is the one who was scourged, beaten, mocked, and derided. He's the one who was faithful to God when the whole human story was one of perpetual unfaithfulness. He is the one who brings light to those of us who are trapped in darkness and who enables us to have faith in God. And I think to see that, it helps to go back and read the Old Testament reading. Every time that he says, I, we substitute in the name of Jesus. The Lord God hath given Jesus the tongue of the learned, that Jesus should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Well, that should remind us of the comfortable words that we hear after the absolution at Mass every Sunday. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. We can go back again to Isaiah. Jesus gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks to them that plucked off his hair. He did not hide his face from shame and spitting. We can think of First St. Peter too. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, That judgeth righteously. We can go back to Isaiah again. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant Jesus, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. We can think of the very beginning of the gospel according to St. John. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah promises us. And if Jesus is the suffering servant, then that means that we stand in the place of Israel. Jesus has been faithful to us, even when we have mocked him, even when we have beaten him through our manifold sins and wickedness. But he doesn't turn away from us. He doesn't turn his back to us. He doesn't keep us at arm's length. He doesn't give up on us. His love for you is as constant as it always has been and it always will be. It changes not yesterday, not today, not tomorrow. But the beautiful thing, I think about the suffering servant, not only does he remind us of this constant love, he provides us a way to break this human cycle of faithlessness. If we're walking in darkness, we can trust in the name of the Lord. We can stay upon his God. This is what St. Paul gets at in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The King James does a good job of translating this. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. Not because Paul's faith was so great or special, but rather it was the faithfulness of the son. 
that Paul found life in. God's faithfulness is the foundation for any and all progress that we make in the Christian life, and it teaches us how to be faithful in response to what he's done to us, for us. And what does a life of faith look like? I think Isaiah 50 gives us three things we can point to. The first is fear of the Lord. The second is obedience to his servant. And the third is trust in his name. Now, it's important when we talk about fearing God that we we understand we don't mean being so scared we can't approach him. Quite the opposite. Psalm 3119 tells us, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. When we fear God, we trust him. We draw near to him. We take refuge in him. And as we do that, as we look to him for everything, we begin to take on a posture of obedience to his servant, Jesus, just like the servant Jesus obeyed the father. If ye love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. And finally, we trust in God just like a child trusts their parents. I mean, this is how we do things in our home. You know, we have a five-year-old and almost five-year-old and a two-year-old. Sometimes we have to tell them things and, you know, they say, why? You say, because I said so. (laughs) Because it's good for you. I know what's best for you. When you're older, I'll tell you. But right now, you just need to listen to me. Right? That's the kind of childlike faith that we have to have. And Jesus confirms this for us. I mean, he, 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 in Matthew 18, he holds up the little child and he says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I think today's collect really, really points us in the right direction. It's a short collect, but it's a dense collect. Without God and his faithfulness, we're simply unable to climb out of the hole that we've dug by ourselves. And so we pray, O Lord God, who seest that we put not in our, our trust in anything that we do, mercifully grant that by thy power we may be defended against all adversity. We have a propensity towards faithlessness, but God is faithful. He always has been and he always will be. And if you ever doubt that, for even for a moment, look at the crucifix where the suffering servant hangs with his arms open, inviting you into his embrace, constantly calling you, constantly calling you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.